0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. My name is Maxwell
2: Alejandro Frost, and I'm going to be the first Generation Z member of the United States
1: Congress the groundbreaking midterm elections and how Black America is bracing for change, from the first Gen Z congressman ready to shake up the system to the Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker runoff election. So where do we go from here?
3: Young people do have a place in this arena.
1: Then, Black America and the failing grade for our educational system. While learning levels are at their lowest, we're breaking down who's to blame. And I'm
4: Kennedy Rue. Black Panther Wakanda Forever takes top billing at the box office,
1: how the cast is reacting.
3: One step at a time.
1: (laughs) All of this tonight as the Black News Revolution starts right now.
4: Black Panther Wakanda forever dominates the box office and we've got the cast reaction. Hey everyone, I'm Kennedy Rue McCullough, welcome to the show.
1: And I'm guest host Rochelle Ritchie. We'll get to that in a bit with Kennedy. But first, we break down the midterm history makers, including Maxwell Frost, the first Gen Z elected to Congress. Meanwhile, it's a battle to the finish line as Georgia's critical neck-and-neck senatorial race between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker heads to a runoff election. So how is Black America's Gen Z population a factor? That's tonight's top story.
2: My name is Maxwell Alejandro Frost, and I'm going to be the first Generation Z member of the United States Congress.
1: We won. That's how Congressman-elect Maxwell Frost began his Instagram post after his victory.
5: congressman elects Frost's uh, behaviors as a, as a Gen Z person um, exhibited through his activity on social media, which is really exciting. And it's kind of like a, a an experiment that we're all watching and, and waiting to see how this plays out in terms of what Gen Z uh, leadership looks like on, on the national level. So I'm very excited for him. I'm very excited for the doors that it's going to open up for, um, you know, hopefully individuals like myself and uh, other young, um, you know, People of color that that want to get involved in, in in government and in politics.
1: Like Frost, New York City Council member Chi Osei became the change he wanted to see by running for office himself.
5: When I saw that my local elected official, my city council member, wasn't sharing the values. Um, that I wanted to see within my representation of leadership, I took it upon myself to, to take a leap of faith and, and run for office myself to be the council member that I wanted to have.
1: This same energy was found on election day at the polls with Gen Z voters who overwhelmingly voted in favor of progressive candidates, a trend many experts are saying could be here to stay.
5: Around 70% um, of Gen Z uh, voters in this past election voted for Democrats, and a lot of our generation is voting for uh, progressive elected officials to to get into the places that they are getting into. Um, in 2024, uh, 45% of the electorate will be uh, Gen Z and millennials. So um, I'm hoping to see that as, as time progresses, um, you know, our generation will continue to vote in and continue to advocate and fight for uh, progressive values like abortion rights for all for people, like climate justice, like increasing the minimum wage.
1: Concerns on how Gen Z will vote in the future is already a discussion point for the right. But for Gen Z, many say their votes are less about party affiliation and more about where the candidates stand on key issues that are important to them.
0: I didn't sign up for nobody else did. I know y'all didn't need them. Then they, I happened to read this article. I read this article and they asked the kids what they were doing with the money. They said they were out there buying video games. They were going on vacation. They was gambling.
5: They were doing. They were drinking booze. And I've never been the biggest cheerleader for establishment Democrats or President Joe Biden um, in any way, shape, or form. But um, you know his student loan. Relief initiative is so important and something that's going to benefit our generation. This runoff election is so important because um, over this past, you know, these past couple of years, there have been two uh, United States senators, and they were really holding up um, a lot of the work that the Biden administration really wanted to get done. Re-electing Senator Warnock again uh, would hinder uh, both of those senators' obsolete and would. Make their power in terms of holding up uh, Biden's administration and preventing us as a generation from achieving, again, our multitude of progressive values that we want to see, um, of protecting our rights, of codifying uh, Roe and, and making sure that abortion um, is here to stay uh, within the United States.
1: Joining us in studio is rapper and motivational speaker Yellow Pain, and virtually is the founder of Next Gen Come Up. Anya Dillard, obviously you both saw the historic win of Maxwell Frost. He's the first Gen Z member elected to Congress. What impact, Yellow, do you think that his election is going to have on the country? And in particular, the impact that it might have on younger people actually participating in the voting process?
0: I think it's going to start a ripple effect. And one thing that he was saying was that uh, Gen Z and millennials, we only make up well, we make up one-third of the U.S. population, but we don't even make up one-third of the government. Mm-hmm. So it, it gives us a voice, um, and it gives us somebody that knows how to speak our language. Because, um, to be honest, one of the biggest reasons why we can't get a big youth turnout is because nobody knows how to speak to the youth. So now we got one of the youth in the office, and that's that's amazing.
1: You know, Anya, one of the areas where uh, young people were targeted by a lot of these politicians, including Maxwell, I'm sure, was on... TikTok, what impact do you think social media has had on young people actually participating in the electoral process?
3: I think social media has been huge. I mean, we saw the boom of TikTok during the pandemic and it became this huge network where young people could not only, you know, Occupy themselves, but honestly, a lot of change makers and people in the socio political space that were our age started to use it as a really effective tool to mobilize young people. And I think that when it came to the midterm elections, we saw this, you know, at its upteenth potential. And I think that people like Maxwell were able to utilize that to really not only connect with other Gen Zers, but to prove that young people do have a place in this arena and have every right to have their voices heard. Some of the issues that he talks about, you know, getting rid of the death penalty,
1: legalizing recreational marijuana, um, decriminalizing sex work, some of those things uh, could pose a challenge for him once he is in Congress. Do you think that could be the case, Yellow?
0: Definitely, because... A lot of career politicians, a lot of them is haters, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they don't really want to see you no know, young people in power like that. So uh if anything, I would just tell the man, you know, stay grounded, you know what I mean? Make sure that you, you know, that you, you really know what you're talking about because we need you. You know what I mean? We need
5: you.
3: I think it's the gambit, you know. I think that as a young person in the socio-political arena, you are constantly under fire for people wondering how you're even qualified enough to be in the positions that you (laughs) occupy, not to mention him being a man of color. Um, And I think that all of those things not only prove how much change is actually needed in those spaces, but it also proves his strength and his resilience. And I also just think it's brilliant to Be able to support someone like him in a position that he's in he is going to end up inspiring and empowering a whole nother generation of young people to do exactly what he's doing now do
1: you think that candidates need to focus more so on the issues than the party when it comes to young voters because i was reading an article and they were saying that look young people are voting on issues not for people what's your thoughts yellow
0: absolutely at the end of the day uh the people in office they represent the people who vote for them you know what I mean so we can't focus so much on red or blue we have to focus on our community what is going to better our community our quality of life our living experience who is going to uh, do something for us in those regards I don't care what color they represent it's not a gang you know I mean this is our livelihood Mm
1: -hmm. and Anya you know do you think that it's important for Gen Z to be politically engaged and invested Um, you know, explain that to me. What are your thoughts?
3: Absolutely. I think that one of the things I talk about all the time is the fact that the words Democrat and Republican just continue to exponentially lose their meaning over time. It's not really about the party. It's not about the color. It's not even about the sociopolitical denomination, but it's about the policy. And there are no permanent enemies, no permanent friends, only permanent interests. And Yellow I want to wrap this conversation up with you, but I wanted to get to this because it's pretty exciting.
1: You have you've done a lot of work in the community and educating uh, young people and young Black people in particular about the importance of civic engagement. And now you have another method. This time, it's not a song, but it's a documentary. Um, tell us very briefly about that before we go.
0: What the documentary is doing is simplifying government terms all the way down to where people, um, just like my man's is doing, is simplifying it for people who don't have any interest in politics, who don't know how the system works, and letting us finally understand. You know. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip.
4: It was just a really long drive.
0: at participating McDonald's. bridging the gap between the people who don't believe in the system and the people who know that the system is everything.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much, Yellow and Anya, for joining us. It'll be obviously very interesting to see how Maxwell does. Stay with us. There's more Revolt Black News Weekly right after the break. Welcome back. Tonight, we're shifting our focus to the educational system failing our black American students. Reading levels in our community schools are tumbling. As we examine how to course correct the system's failing grade, we now ask ourselves, is the COVID pandemic or the school administration at fault?
4: A national exam administered by the Department of Education confirmed what a lot of us already knew, remote learning widened racial disparities and erased decades of academic progress, especially in math.
1: Math scores for eighth graders fell in nearly every state. Just 26% of eighth graders were proficient in math, down from 34% in 2019. In Detroit, a city that is majority black, nearly one in two school children live in poverty. Just 6% of fourth graders were proficient in math in 2019. This year, that number fell to 3%.
6: We knew that black people were struggling in America's public schools, but we didn't know how much until we opened those systems up to greater scrutiny. And what we found was that our children are being undereducated. It isn't a new thing. The miseducation of the Negro was written in the early 20th century. And what we found is from then to now, black people have been trying to find ways out of the system that was designed to undermine their very growth and humanity. But old
1: issues in education continue to present themselves still today, as seen in this now viral video.
2: Deep down in my heart, I'm ethnocentric, which means I think my
7: race is the superior one.
1: These shocking statements were made by a Texas middle school teacher who has now been fired. Rapper Southside, whose son was in the video questioning the teacher, joins him in asking, is public school a safe place for Black and brown children to learn?
6: The research is really clear that children who are African-American perform best when they're learning in academic settings led by African-American teachers. So one of the things that we have to do is we have to push harder to put African-Americans in positions where they can be teachers. There are quite a number of people who've never had a Black teacher. Uh, I'm One of the states that we have schools in is Connecticut. Only 4% of all the teachers in the entire state are Black.
1: And those types of numbers are pushing some parents of Black American children to continue to explore other options, including homeschooling. 3.3% of Black families were homeschooling their children in spring of 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic. But the figure jumped to 16.1% in the fall of 2020.
6: And so there has been a movement or there is a movement afoot of Black families who said, I could do bad all by myself, or, in fact, I could do better by myself. So I know that, interestingly enough, children who are homeschooled, and I say this as somebody who runs charter schools in, in multiple states, children who are homeschooled of all races tend to outperform their uh, the, children from the same communities significantly.
1: Here to break down the educational epidemic is Willie Yates, director of diversity for the Indiana GOP, Wesley Dixon, special assistant to the president and board secretary of Vassar College and community activist and business owner, Giovanni Patterson. Whitley, I wanna start with you. Many black families feel that the school system is failing our community now more than ever. What do you think is the leading cause of distrust in the education system?
8: I think for a really long time, we've seen the data and statistics that show that Black students are trailing behind all other ethnicities. And instead of creating or devising plans to strategically strengthen and develop those students, they've kind of been lost in the overall flow of education. And so what you've been seeing lately is a transition for more Black students being homeschooled, as well as utilizing school choice and going through the voucher program. But the truth is, after COVID, it exasperated and exposed not only the disparities, but the inequities within the educational system. And it's really, honestly, if we're going to be honest, it's a national security crisis that we're having.
1: Yeah, Wesley, when you look at the numbers, you know, when you think of 84% of black students lack proficiency in math and then lack, 85% lack proficiency in reading, is there some truth to what Whitley is saying?
9: Absolutely, Whitley is absolutely correct. These numbers are startling and our students and our babies, I would like to call them, really deserve much better. Um, education is a civil right. I think many people would agree with that. And I think the fact that black students in particular struggle to take advantage of that civil right is really reprehensible and abhorrent. And I think we need to all think as a community, how we can work urgently, but over time in a long-term way, directed by that problem.
1: Giovanni, I want to bring you into the conversation. About a year ago, it was made public that a majority of Baltimore City high schoolers tested at elementary levels in math and reading. And now this lack of proficiency is spreading across the nation. I lived in Baltimore for five years uh, when I was a reporter there. You're there now. What type of education policies need to be rolled out to affect some real change, especially in cities like Baltimore?
10: Well, I think it was alluded to earlier, things like uh, school choice uh, and vouchers really have benefited, um, you know, particularly uh, black students. Now, what's happening in Baltimore is really, really abysmal, uh, because what we you know, if you you even look at the national report card that was recently released, it performed like at the bottom. And Baltimore is a a city that's majority black. uh, We have majority black leadership. um, And it's like our students and our kids are trapped in this system that doesn't want to educate and lead them to a brighter future. To me, that that's sad, but I think the great policies, um, you know, when it comes to educating uh, students from all walks of life is let those parents have a choice on where they send their kids.
1: When you hear about school choice and vouchers, a lot of times that is a conservative talking point, but people don't seem to realize that a lot of black people and black families actually support that. Is that something that cities like Baltimore that are predominantly ran by black people need to really look at instilling across their cities?
8: Absolutely. And outside of a conservative talking point, it's a winning talking point because, for instance, during COVID, those private schools didn't have to close down. So my daughter's school never closed down. And so there was no gap in her education. But the truth is that that's not what is really going to create a Herculean effort to change this, because the truth is most inner city and African-American students are educated in the public school system. So it's going to take a robust funding of the public school system, reallocation of those tax dollars to fix the deficits that occur. It's going to be looking at how we can have school year round to make up for the years that these students spent on distance education, not really learning, and some of them being unsupervised, sitting in the parking lot of the McDonald's trying to get on Wi-Fi. There are some really big issues here, and if we don't tackle it, what we're going to see is later on down the line, when we're looking for leaders and those to create policies that impact our country, we won't have them, because they won't be able to read or do math.
10: Uh, My wife and I actually have a lawsuit against the Baltimore City Public Schools. Even uh, Ben Crump has joined in our our lawsuit. Our school system in Baltimore City, again, is funded, um, is one of the fifth highest in the country of the largest school districts, but our schools are performing the worst. So we have a lawsuit to actually investigate where the tax dollars are being spent um, and where that money goes. Because if I received 16000 or $18,000 a year to educate my child, I think I could make a better decision on how my child is educated versus putting it into this money pit that has become our Baltimore, our school system and hoping it works for everybody.
8: I think that being an active parent, and you've seen a lot of Republicans push parents to definitely get involved, but as a taxpayer in Baltimore, you should be at those school board meetings. So you should know exactly where that money is being allocated. And so I find it actually interesting that you wouldn't know where that money is going and how it's being held up. Many of these schools receive COVID dollars for these specific things. And so if you're not finding out what that is, if there's no level of transparency within Baltimore, then I do think that that's important, But that's That is not a panacea for what's happening around this country.
1: Wesley, what do you say to those who say they no longer believe in the education system? If you look at some of the recent stats, uh, college applications and the idea of going to college is actually down because people think they can make it without that form of education. What do you say to that?
9: Yeah, I mean, I think there are different things and different uh, life paths for different people. Um, to be clear, college is not for everybody. Um, certain kinds of college is not for everyone. So I don't want people to delude themselves into thinking that they have to sort of aspire to go to a Barner where you worked or a bass or where I worked. That is not the goal for everybody. But I do hope that people have a general value of education in a variety of forms. It doesn't have to be formal, it doesn't have to be elite. But I think if people value learning, value education, they will go very far in life. And there are many ways to learn. You can learn in community colleges that offer vocational and technical programs, as well as traditional sort of liberal arts programs as well, too. So I think providing students and families with good education about the range of choices they can avail themselves of relative to education, again, formal or not, is a good investment, not only in that family, but as Whitney Whitney said, sorry, in our future as a country.
1: Yeah, I think we can certainly all agree that money is not the solvent of these issues. There definitely has to be a lot more done at home and in our school system. So Whitley, Wesley, and Giovanni, I want to thank you for joining us. All right, let's move on to the headlines beyond our borders as we go black all over the world. First stop, Haiti.
0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. The
1: country continues to face inflation, gang violence, cholera, and more. Now, after many months of an economic crippling fuel shortage to protest against President Ariel Henry, Haitians are finally able to fill up their tanks due to the G9 gang releasing their stronghold. Chaos continues throughout the island. The American embassy was reportedly attacked by gunfire. While no one was severely injured, this continues to underscore the opposition to colonization and the response to the U.S. aid and gangs. Finally, we head to Italy, where two rescue ships containing over 600 migrants arrived, leaving 234 migrants from Libya stuck on a boat off the dock of Sicily. This comes on the heels of Italy's new Prime Minister, Giorgia Maloney, who has told to Al Jazeera decided to ban male migrants in order to stop the influx of immigrants.
2: That they are
11: pushed back into international waters, maybe even pushed back to Libya. So all the memories come up uh, on their journey, what they experienced, saw people dying, saw people uh, going missing in front of them. They don't want to go back to these places.
1: Women and children and those with illnesses were able to leave the ship. Things turned into a standoff as rescue boats refused to leave, prompting humanitarian programs fighting for the rights of those left on board. Still, four boats remain in limbo and Italy finally allowed a ship to dock, but still leaving the rest of the migrants on board. We'll continue to track those global headlines. Stay with us. Kennedy has the entertainment remix when Revolt Black News Weekly returns.
4: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Kennedy Rue. We're kicking things off with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and the record breaking $300 million box office domination. Topping off the latest in the entertainment
3: remix. One stuff at a time. <laughs> one day at a time honestly truly i think especially when it's it's been or this has become this journey this career is proving to be like something that i've dreamt about and prayed about and thought about like incessantly for so long
4: newcomer dominique thorne is about to become an even bigger star after wakanda forever delivered a mind-blowing box office weekend superhero role was introduced in the sequel. Now, the 25-year-old New Yorker will star
3: in her very own Marvel series. What is next? Up next is Ironheart in 2023, coming to Disney+. I think it'll be a a ride of a lifetime. And I hope that people, seems like folks have already enjoyed and are sort of responding positively to what they've seen in Black Panther. So hopefully that's encouragement enough to come over to Disney+. (laughs)
4: Girl. Beyonce's Renaissance leads the Grammy nominations with nine.
12: As I get a little older.
4: Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige, DJ Khaled, Future, and The Dream round out the list of top nominees. Mary J. Lizzo, and Kendrick Lamar face off for album of the year. That same group, including Doja Cat, is also up for record of the year. God did is expected. Us. God did,
12: Revolt yep. Did, Pump yep. did. Oh, you think it's a game, huh? God did out right now. The love is felt. I know you got questions, but I gotta, I gotta do my intro.
4: They ain't believing us. Khaled called it, joining future Jack Harlow, Kendrick Lamar, and Pusher T up for Best Rap Album. And then there's the first timers. Money Long joining Lotto and Glorilla. Lotto tweeting, I'm crying so bad right now. And Glorilla's tweet kept it simple, but God. The Grammys will air February 5th on CBS.
12: Drop it three times, one.
11: I don't see you dancing.
4: Diddy wowed the crowd at the 2022 Baby to Baby Gala that included Kerry Washington and Kelly Rowland. Tyler Perry saluted Kim Kardashian, who was honored for her commitment to Children in Need.
0: I want the world to know how incredible you are doing that, using your voice for social injustice to make it to help people be free, talking to presidents, doing whatever you have to. When you have that kind of celebrity and that kind of status and that kind of following and you use it to help lift and encourage, that's a blessing. Everywhere we go, the spirits seem to be one step ahead of us, just out of reach. Who are we gonna
4: call? Well, obviously, the Ghost Brothers, who are still scaring audiences every Friday on Discovery Plus. The spirit hunters chase paranormal activity all across the country, but there's one rumored haunted mansion they'd still love to creep into.
0: We really try to do the White House. We've heard stories. We've heard stories. I just think it's up to us to
13: investigate it. But we got turned down politely a few times. (laughs) From the people that made the White House, that built it, to uh, all the wild stories that happened, all the energies that have been over there for the
0: past couple hundred years. uh, Yeah, it's crazy. There's staff staff that have had, like, paranormal experiences. Like, sometimes they'll hear footsteps or, like, uh, they just say, like, the house is is kind of, like, got a, a spirit of its own.
14: Uh, I mean, it's super important to just continue to keep pushing this, you know what I mean, that, um, um, like I said, that's this is what Atlanta's about, um, young black entrepreneurs making their way, doing what they got to do.
4: Jermaine Dupree among the special guests at the grand opening of Atlanta's Seesaw Lounge. It's the second location for the popular soul food restaurant. Co-owner Juan Farmer hopes their Seesaw initiative inspires more young black entrepreneurs.
0: You don't really have to sell drugs. There's different things that you can do besides, you know, balling, you know, being a rapper. You can be a And When these brothers and sisters were starting this amazing genre of music, uh, no one wanted it. And it was even criminalized. And, but they pushed ahead.
4: The brains behind hip-hop were honored by New York City Mayor Eric Adams as the genre celebrates its 50th anniversary. The city is planning multiple events next year to salute the hip-hop movement. And grab a seat at Roddy Rich's table. He's serving new music this Friday with his latest album, Feed the Streets 3.
1: All right, let's mix things up a bit and focus on the cases that caught our attention this week as we explore who's in the system.
0: They came into the cell, he's on suicide watch.
1: Social media outrage after the security video from a Georgia jail went viral.
0: This
12: is a gang related attack, obviously.
1: The footage posted to Twitter shows 41-year-old detainee Jared Hobbs being pushed against a wall by guards and repeatedly punched in the head and neck after five deputies come into his cell. The Camden County Sheriff's Department has ordered an internal investigation. Civil rights activists are calling for criminal charges against the deputies who swarmed Hobbs. He was booked for traffic violations and drug possession charges.
10: Heartbreaking. Uh, What a tragedy here uh, at UVA. And uh, first of all, our hearts go out to the UVA and the Charlottesville and the Albemarle County communities.
1: Now an update on the shooting at the University of Virginia campus. Alleged gunman Christopher Darnell Jones Jr. appeared in court on Wednesday to face charges, including second-degree murder and three counts of using a handgun.
0: What happened? Uh, Why did it have to get this far?
10: He could have called me.
1: Jones opened fire on a bus carrying students returning from a school trip. Bullets hit and killed UVA linebacker Deshaun Perry, UVA wide receivers Lavelle Davis Jr. and Devin Chandler.
0: These are the teachings of Grand Master the teacher himself, with or without a militia. I was already spitting this knowledge and I've been spitting it since 2017.
1: Next, we head to a Louisville courthouse where Grand Master Jay, the leader of the black militia known as the Not Effing Around Coalition, has been sentenced to seven years and two months.
0: It ain't never been great for black people in this country. Stop telling us that lie, And don't act like it happened so long ago.
1: This sentence is in reference to an incident that happened two years ago during the Breonna Taylor protest. The black militia leader was charged with assaulting an officer and pointing an AR-15 weapon towards Secret Service. And there are new developments in Memphis and the murder of young Dolph. A third man, Hernandez Govin, has been arrested and charged with first-degree murder and a number of other charges, including conspiracy to commit murder, all connected to the rapper's death. Lastly, we check in with Buffalo.
12: Buffalo has definitely um, stood up to their, you know, City of Good Neighbors title. People have continuously
11: um, reached out to us. They're still stopping by and dropping off packages right
0: here. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
12: Um, and calling us and checking on us, seeing if we need anything. It really, really has been an amazing, overwhelming support that we've had.
1: That is Buffalo mother Zanetta Everhart opening up about life after May 14th. Her 20-year-old son Zaire Goodman was among the injured when 18-year-old white supremacist Peyton Gendron opened fire, deliberately targeting East Buffalo's Black community and killing 10 residents at a Topps grocery store as the community heals there is a long road ahead in the face of a city with a long history of racial divide
0: we know for a fact that racism and bigotry and white supremacy and all of those things that are, they've always been here um, i think that the only difference today they've taken the hoods off
1: we'll keep track of those cases stay with us there's more revolt black news weekly when we return Welcome
4: back to Revolt Black News Weekly. This week, we focus on Revolt's Moguls in the Making. It's a very rich and inspiring conversation that catches up with the young minds of tomorrow and those who've helped our HBCU students find the reality of success. Joining me are previous winners, Andre Wilkes and Joshua Weaver. I wanna start with you, Joshua. Take us through what you're doing now and how the Moguls in the Making program set you up to win.
2: Uh, so currently, now um, I work as a product strategist at Allies TM Studio, um, and fortunately enough for me, uh, being that I was on the winning team and being that I graduated in May, I was able to leverage that and the competition, and instead of getting a guaranteed internship, I turned it. I was able to convert it into a full-time role. Yeah,
4: congratulations! Thank That's you. awesome. How did going through that program motivate you to take your mogul in the making status to the next level?
2: It motivated me in a variety of ways. Um, it, it motivated me to always want to take that step outside of my comfort zone and try something new. Because um, you never, you'll never know what's on the other side of that door, what, uh, what opportunities, what type of growth you'll receive as a person.
4: Andre, take us through what you're doing now and how the MITM program set you up to win.
11: Well, I had to go back to school and finish my last year at Howard University. I'm a senior right now. But Mogul set me up to win by forming this direct pipeline. Mm-hmm. They set a direct intangible pipeline to an internship. And with that experience and what I was able to do at Ally, and with a big name like Ally, mm-hmm. I think they set me up pretty well what yeah. I'll do next.
4: So tell me about, while you guys were in the program, what you actually ended up pitching to win the competition.
2: So we came up with the idea of a community center. Mm-hmm. And at this community center, um, the citizens of the community can come in and use it. There would be a gym a playground for the kids and a botanical garden. Mm-hmm. And all of the equipment that was utilized in the community center, uh, was, you were able to conduct energy. We created a product named Funnel that was meant to funnel people in the community
11: straight to a corporation or an employer. Mm-hmm. Targeting the problem of middle skill jobs because Charlotte, where we, which was our problem area, mm-hmm. had a problem that half of their job market was middle-skilled jobs. So on our platform, you could receive a certification, which would be a trade or a middle skill certification, mm-hmm. in-house and for free. And on that same platform, it would directly funnel you to an employer.
4: How has both of your financial literacy been enhanced, having gone through Moguls in the Making and Thurgood Marshall College Fund?
11: In a personal sense, the competition made me understand what those big numbers, the higher the numbers get, the more mm-hmm. I was able to understand how far they could stretch or how not so mm-hmm. far they could stretch. Mm-hmm. And then I just translated that to personal finance. But then professionally, I learned
2: what makes up an ask, what to look for. Right. Definitely uh... I, I definitely agree with that foundation foundationally it started with the competition um, and for me uh, the problems that i always had was taking the idea and make it a real thing mm-hmm. um, but also the human-centered design principles that we learned from the competition it kind of taught me how to better define what the problem is that you're solving for mm-hmm. with the business or whatever it may be um, and that that was actually very monumental for me because i felt like A lot of the ideas that I was having didn't really solve anything yet.
4: Now joining me are marketing and PR officer for Ally Financial, Andrea Brimmer, ambassador for the Third Good Marshall College Fund, Terrence J., and George Spencer, chief development officer of the fund. Andrea, I want to start with you. When you see the springboard that's been set up through Ally, how proud of you are the young men and women who are trying to succeed on this new path?
7: Oh, I mean, it's everything. It's very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually at Art Basel last year, oh. and I had two young men come up to me just on the street and say, we were part of Moguls, and you don't know us, but we want you to know that Ally changed, and that program changed the trajectory of our lives forever. Wow. And it was a very emotional moment for for me. And when you realize you're making mm-hmm. that kind of impact, it's it's everything.
4: Yeah, and it makes it all worth it, it I'm does. sure. Yeah, absolutely. George, tell us what the Thurgood Marshall College Fund is about and how the partnership with Ally came to be.
13: Sure, so Thurgood Marshall College Fund was founded in 1987 by Dr. N. Joyce Payne. Mm -hmm. It was actually named after the first black Supreme Court Justice, uh, Thurgood Marshall. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was founded as a scholarship fund. Mm -hmm. But over the the years, we we learned that it wasn't uh, just important to get students to school, we wanted to help them get through school. Mm -hmm. And so we formed four pillars. Uh, scholarships was still foundational. Mm Uh, then programmatic support through, uh, uh, things that we do like innovation entrepreneurship with Ally, Mm uh, capacity building, and then policy and advocacy.
4: Terrence, how did your ambassadorship come to be?
14: So let's take it all the way back. I'm in college, Mm -hmm. a young Terrence J. Mm -hmm. I'm on academic probation. And I had a teacher that came in my life and told me, look, you're a class clown. I see you goofing off all the time. You gotta channel that energy and get with the right people. Mm -hmm. And I met a mentor from the Thurgood Marshalls, the college fund at the time, Mm -hmm. and it completely changed my life. Because of this program, I was able to stay in school. Because I was able to stay in school, I was able to take this energy that I had Mm -hmm. and, and start a career in broadcasting that I still have to this day, Mm -hmm. and so to come back now and be an ambassador, it's a dream come true.
4: Yeah, talk to me about, you know, where that shift happened and what advice you can give maybe other people struggling.
14: Absolutely. You know, Jay-Z says that we all have genius-level ability within Mm -hmm. us, right? Everybody is skilled in something, right? But you have to hone in Mm -hmm. and turn what that talent might be into actual skill. It's putting in the hours. It's getting that focus. So you have to surround yourself with the right people. And so it's not just a scholarship fund where they give some money so you can stay in school or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. You're getting time with high-level executives. You're getting time with other students Mm -hmm. from other universities So you who went to Spelman, Mm -hmm. you're able to now meet the top brightest students that went to Howard that went the, the top students that went to FAMU, and you're competing against the students that went to North Carolina A&T. Mm-hmm. So you're raising the bar. You're raising your game. You're also networking. Mm-hmm. It's it's just this this entire infrastructure mm-hmm. of greatness. And yeah. when we talk about Black excellence, that's what it's all about.
4: Andrea, what does allies stand for when it comes to representation and diversity, and how does that mission translate in these programs?
7: Yeah, I mean, look, I think as a financial services institution, we have. Uh, um, our obligation mm-hmm. to make society have better economic mobility, mm-hmm. and when you talk about that in terms of the ecosystem of of really everyone in society, that means that as a bank, we have to represent whether you are black, whether you are white, mm-hmm. whether you are uh, Asian American. It doesn't matter. We, don't, we have to uh, make sure that we are putting out products and information and financial mm-hmm. literacy mm-hmm. that make sure that everybody has their best financial possibilities and their mm-hmm. best financial world. George, what
4: goes through your mind when you see these young men and women become so driven to compete and to ultimately win?
13: So I, I think it really kind of boils down to three words. Mm-hmm. Um, pride, hope, and inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm super proud of them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm mainly because uh, of the amplification of the talent. One of the biggest myths uh, at our HBCUs is that talent doesn't exist. Mm. And to see them come and perform the way they do uh, is just phenomenal.
4: I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for coming in. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before we leave you tonight, we are shining the spotlight on a program that introduces young people to the art of chess.
1: It's a project called Gift of Chess, which gives black kids a chance to learn the art of the game. Corey Jacobs, who's behind HBCUs on the green, is also involved in this game that is changing one life at a time. And he makes our list for Revolutionary of the Week. Let's get right into this. You are Mm -hmm. obviously a man of many, many talents, but how did you partner with Gift of Chess?
12: Oh well, um, a young man named Tyrone Davis reached out to me. He's graduated from MIT, the first African-American head of the chess club. He knew a friend, you know, of mine that was locked up with me and, you know, and he knew that I played chess. And then um, he reached out to me on Instagram and um, I found out what they was doing with the gift of chess and the work they was doing in Africa and all over the world. And we built a friendship and then ultimately I became an honorary board member to help take the organization even further.
1: How? what kind of impact has chess had on you and how did you actually learn?
12: Well, I started learning to play chess when I was 11 years old, right? I was in school. I was a very smart kid. But, you know, everybody would say, yeah, this kid wouldn't sit still.
9: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com
12: wonder. He's hyperactive until they sent me to a, a, a school for challenged kids, which I felt like I was misdiagnosed. And one of the teachers just seen something in me, and I got into a chess club. I got into that chess club, and, you know, um, I fell in love with the game. I would be playing for hours on end. And teachers was coming around, and it was just unbelievable that Corey Jacobs, you know, was sitting there focused for hours, just playing the game. And that's how I started. And then from there, I taught chess for 10 years while I was in prison.
1: What do you think makes this organization so revolutionary, and even just the concept itself of chess?
12: Right. I mean, I think what makes it so revolutionary that it it crosses all bounds. There's no race color, gender, socioeconomic status that prohibits people. It creates community and we're building a global community of chess players, right? So we're, you know, I think one of the strengths is that we're partnering with various organizations. So we got chess boards in Ghana, Kenya, Nairobi. We're going to Compton this week, right, to deliver 110 chess sets to Jefferson Junior High School. And I, I just feel like I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for the game. You know, it taught me patience. Yeah. It taught me how to overcome obstacles when I, when my life was feeling like it was hopeless. And it's just, it's just a blessing to be able to share that with others.
1: Now, obviously, this is just one of many things that you are doing, but yes. I wanted to ask you before we go about your op-ed that you wrote on reforming extreme sentencing laws. Tell me about your Buried Alive project and then also your journey to activism.
12: Well, my journey to activism was, you know, really starting off as a young man going to college and, you know, end up getting caught and hustling and selling drugs, you know, while I was going to school, which landed me a life sentence in prison, where I did 17 years in prison. It was an incredible hard fight to try to fight my way out of there for a nonviolent drug offense. And ultimately, I was able to get clemency from President Obama. When I got out of prison, I vowed to make sure that that gift of freedom that I got, I would give to others. So I co-founded an organization called The Buried Alive Project with my attorney and her first client, Sharonda Jones. Where we went in and she went to you know old alma mater, which was SMU, and we had about 40 law students create the program, and we went to find out where all the bodies are buried in the United States for drug laws for people that are serving life in prison. Right? So once we found out, we seen there was about 4,000 people over the United States that, that was dying in prison under these laws. So being that I had life in prison, I just wanted to go back in and I wanted to make sure that there's a lot of people that can come out here and do great things, like have chess programs, be a positive impact on the community, if just given a second chance. So I wanted to be somebody to help change that perspective.
1: Check and mate for that program. And you can help support by going to thegiftofchess.org. That does it for us. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, our YouTube channel, and on our Revolt Black News Podcast. We'll see you next time.